If you have big league expectations and you're in high school and you're only hitting three days a week, that is not the like growth trajectory of a big league player. So I think you can be realistic there and say, probably not gonna get to the big leagues if I work and act this way. That's not to say if I start doing this, I'm going to get to the big leagues, but that is the necessary track to getting there. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. On today's episode, I'm joined by a repeat guest, former big league third baseman, Richie Schaefer. On Richie's first appearance, we talked about his career. We went back and did the thing. We talked about his time at Clemson, uh, being a first-round pick, playing in Omaha, did did all the good things. Richie was a guy who who really, and he'll, he'll admit this, had no struggles until he got to pro balls. First year in high A was a big struggle for him on the field, and that cascaded over mentally. Richie had a really tough time dealing with the ups and downs of, of life in professional baseball. He eventually made the big leagues, uh, retired a couple years ago. But since retiring, he's moved into making his mark on baseball and instruction, specifically the mental side of the game, the things that the tools that he really wishes that he had when he was a player. And so he, he's one of my favorite baseball content creators i guess you would say a lot of his stuff is is more breaking down at bats and and really talking about that mental side of hitting really interesting stuff so i want to have him back on especially because he just released a new book called the slugger journal which is essentially he takes all these all these tools that he learned uh that he, that he has garnered from other sources and kind of put them into a how-to book for hitters to be what we call what what you know, we talk about in this episode, 80 grade mental hitters. And I, I thought it was really interesting. So I want to have him on come pick his brain about this and, and another project of his uh, six tool athlete, but really interesting. If you, if you have kids come into play baseball or if you're coaching or anything like that, just a, a really interesting look at, at the mental side of hitting. And I think a lot of the stuff that he has, has merit at also is someone who, you know, once upon a time, uh, pitched, I, I think this stuff can hold merit, uh, with, with pitching too, or really any sport, a lot of, a lot of the mental stuff. So really interested, uh, all of Richie's information is going to be in the show notes. Go, go check him out. Uh, like I said, just a really big fan of what he puts on. And I'm really glad we could have him back on the show. Uh, episodes are from Phenom to the farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoyed this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews like Richie's. If you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating interview on Apple podcasts or Spotify. Also make sure to subscribe to baseballamerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news league top 30s or player uh, team top 30s organization top 30s are updated now with 2023 draftees go check that out minor league season kind of winding down still a lot of good coverage there a lot of good cape coverage you know always a good time to be a subscriber to baseball america and with that let's talk to richie schaefer all right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom the Farm, a returning guest. He was a first-rounder out of Clemson by the Rays in the 2012 draft, former big leaguer Richie Schaefer. Richie, thank you so much for returning to from Phenom to the Farm. Of course, yeah. Thank you for having me back on. Absolutely, yeah. One of my one of my favorite episodes, one of my uh, one of our more, more candid guests uh, about your time in professional baseball. I want to, right off the bat, uh, we're, we're here to talk about the after what you know what you've gotten into especially lately tell me right off the bat about the slugger journal what is it where can folks get it 
Yeah, of course. So uh, I just launched essentially what is a guided journal uh, to help hitters. It's called the Slugger Journal. You can find it on Amazon. If you just type in the Slugger Journal, it should be the first thing to pop up. Uh, and if you are searching for a bunch of other things on Amazon, hopefully it'll also pop up because I've been <laughs> putting a bunch of uh, sponsor posts everywhere, trying to get the word out, trying to get it, uh, this into people's hands because I think it could be a, a really useful tool. So what brought you back into into baseball and going this direction as far as taking your you know, the, the knowledge that you built up over your career and channeling into this, because, um, you did different things after your, after your time with baseball, you, you wrote a, you know, a sci-fi book you did, you've done Twitch streaming and things like that. And your time in professional baseball, what was tough on you in, in a lot of ways. And it's something that we got into. And, you know, when, when we had your original on the show to discuss your career, which everyone can, you know, go check out that interview is pretty evergreen you know, it, getting back into baseball, there's obviously the traditional coaching route. You could go coach at a high school. You could coach a select team because there's a zillion of those now. What right. brought you into taking it to, you know, being content focused and then doing your own, you know, doing your own book and kind of doing your own thing? Yeah, you know, I think it, it kind of boiled down to a few things. Uh, one, kind of as you alluded to right there, throughout my career, uh, I, I think I come to realize that the mental side of the game was what sort of held me back from like fully reaching my physical potential. Cause I had a lot of the elite tool sets and like, you know, why, why did I not quite reach that, that level of like, okay, you're an everyday dude. Like you're an all-star, you're a guy who's like, you know, getting the big contracts and playing for, for 10 years. And it really boiled down to just mental inconsistencies, mental struggles, mental, uh, a lack of like mental foundation and systems. And so I'm like, all right, how can I try to, and the more that I go and I'm looking at all of the content that's out there with hitting right now in particular, there's this obsession with swing mechanics and this obsession with, with um, uh, all the big debates that are raging right now between like the old school guys who think a traditional way and sort of the new generation of hitters um, with, with a lot of their different mechanics and ideologies. And one and, of the big turning points in, in your career in kind of a bad way, which you mentioned on our last show, was you went to overhaul your swing, do the Aaron Judge thing, and the results did not come. The opposite. Right, exactly. Right. And so there was, there was, um, you know, I, I think there's this misconception for a lot of hitters if they can just perfect their mechanics that they're going to be a great hitter. And I, there's just so much more to hitting because hitting is naturally a reactive, uh, uh, it's a, it's a reactive pursuit, whereas pitching is much more premeditative. You can, you can literally build a perfect system and like repeat throwing the ball in the outside corner every single time. Whereas a hitter, you have to be reactive. You have to have like uh, systems in place to be able to do multiple things, not just like groove one swing off a tee over and over again. Uh, and I think that sort of education and that um, sort of the tools in place for hitters was really lacking. And so that's like the first part of it. And the second part of it was sort of my transition into uh, post baseball and kind of wanting to be entrepreneurial, wanting to, you know, figure out from a business perspective, how I can, how I can start to get my, my business legs under me. Um, and, you know, I, I watch a lot of business content and stuff. A lot of people are like, well, just start in your realm of knowledge first. And, you know, that's, that was baseball, right? I mean, I, I, me and my buddies joke all the time. It's like, if you've gotten to the big leagues and you've played for a very long time, you essentially have like a PhD in baseball and there's no reason to not leverage that in some capacity. But to your point about like coaching teams and doing all that, I didn't want to do anything that was going to sort of uproot my life and get right back into the baseball lifestyle, which is just really, really difficult to, to, uh, to kind of build a family and sort of live a more traditional life and be in baseball. It's just really hard to do. Um, 
in the professional coaching route is absolutely difficult. You got to get right back on the buses and do the 10 hour bus trips and stopping at gas stations and do all that stuff. And it's just like, I didn't want to do that. Um, I thought about maybe college, uh, but then again, you've got to like uproot, go move to a college town and be there. And it's like, you know, my wife has a job. She's, you know, she's got a career too. And now I've got a, a 18 month old daughter and another on the way. So it's just like, you know, trying to find ways. Of how do I stay around baseball? Find a really interesting sort of niche that I think is really beneficial that I could help a lot of players in um, and also sort of build business around it. And this sort of mental skills, mental coaching, mental aspect of it was sort of where it fell. I started with my six tool athlete uh, mental skills training program that I have, and it's on six athlete.com. And this, the slugger journal is supposed to be like the um, complement to that um, where essentially it provides you the framework to be mentally consistent because one of the most difficult components to uh, the game of baseball is if you don't have sort of a foundation and a system in place to be uh, mentally consistent, you're going to go all over the place because baseball is naturally failure driven uh, in general. I want to hear about the development of this as a, a philosophy and every, I, I, I doubt that you one day sat down and in a week cranked out this book and all the ideas in it and kind of going through your, I think every baseball player does this. Like I went through this when you go through your career autopsy, what did, what did I do then? What could I have done differently? You know, I had this massive realization like a couple years after college, I had tried, I was a side armor for two years and it didn't, I didn't really have a lot of success. And I was always just like, oh, I couldn't really spin a breaking ball from down there and whatever. And then I had this massive realization of, wait, I actually didn't pitch with any conviction from down there for the entire time I was doing it. And I was like, that would have been a huge game changer if I would have just said, hey, throw it as hard as you can and right. have some faith in yourself. And so when you're pulling this all together, how much is like how long would you say this process is of bits and pieces of things that you have pulled of thinking back at your career and what you could have done? Like what is the summation of that time? Yeah. I mean, I think it is the culmination of experience throughout my entire career, but then in terms of actually taking that and making it a digestible format for other players, that's basically started without even me realizing it since the day I retired, right? Like kind of looking back and trying to feel like, all right, what went right and what went wrong? And okay, the things that I did really well, what were like at the times that I was doing my very best, what were the things that um, were key to that success? How do we pull those out? And we how we package them into like something that players can use. The things that like went really wrong, how do we, again, distill those down into lessons that players can learn to try to avoid, right? There are a lot of things uh, in life in general and in baseball that like you kind of have to learn just the hard way, right? There's there's some things where I can tell you till you're blue in the face to like uh, one of the big things I talk about times like zooming out, right? Like you're not in a slump if you're 0 for 10, right? You just have decided that 10 at bats, the most recent 10 at bats are the ones you're focusing on, right? It's like, okay, you're, you're 0 for 10. Okay, well, are you 10 for your last 20? Would you consider yourself in a slump if you're 10 for your last 20? Then no. Okay, well, you're... Oh, for 20, like, okay, are you 20 for 40? Like just keep zooming out until you find like the, the, the sense of who you are as a hitter. We have such as recency bias where we condense like the importance of the most recent at bats. And that's so easy to say. And I talk about it a lot in here, but like you do just have to experience some of these things. But I think one thing I really wanted to do was like, the more we can be aware 
of some of these things, I think the quicker we are to recognize them in real time and then reduce their effect on us. So that's that's essentially been the the key to all of this is like, how do I create um, triggers, reminders, cues, things that can help reduce some of the self-induced failure? Um, because some of it does have to be just experience, but, but if we can have the tools in place to recover from those quicker and then adjust and then send those, like redirect those into a positive direction then I think we're going to, then we're going to do you know really well. And I think the creation of that started from the day I retired, um, until I got serious about, all right, how do I actually format this? Yeah. In the Amazon write-up, you say that not every hitter can be physically elite, which is true. I mean, even the even the you know even big leaguers are not right. as physically elite as some other big leaguers. Right. But every hitter can be mentally elite. What is an eighty-grade mental hitter doing? So I think it really boils down to a few things. It is the number one. It's the ability to. Um, take small wins from losses. That is one of the key foundational elements of not only a six to athlete, but then the slugger journal also. So if you had a, if you had a bad at bat, if you struck out, right. Are there pieces of that at bat that you can take as the win and then disregard everything else? So you got to O2 and you took a nasty slider down and away and you struck out the next pitch. 99% of hitters are like, that was a terrible at bat. I struck out. I stink. My swing is long. I got to fix my swing. Elite hitters are like, that was a great take on O2. The guy made a good pitch one, two, but like, that was a great take. I'm going to build on that and move on. Right. So uh, number one is like distilling small wins from what, what seemed to be losses from everyone else. Number two is kind of that concept that I talk about of like zooming out where they don't, they don't panic in the short term. Right. They are very, um, I have this phrase that I use a lot with like have urgency with our work, but patience in our results. So you do want to have urgency in like the, the sense of like, you have a small window of time to make this happen as an athlete. So like every single day counts and every single day matters. And so we have to be urgent in like how we prepare and how we work, but you have to be patient in like the way that baseball is played out because you get, you know, if you're, if you're in a, if you're in a big league season, you get 600, you know, plate appearances, right? Like that's a really long time. And if we're, if we're going real high and real low over three game series, like, you're going to have, you're going to have a really long, really long season. And it's going to be really difficult on you. And you're probably not going to perform your best because you're putting too much emphasis on the reset and not enough on the long-term. Um, so those are a couple key elements. And then the other one really boils down to like how, what, what their confidence is based upon. And so I have this whole kind of cycle in here, which I call like the durable confidence cycle, which essentially you're doing my job for me. I was going to ask about that. Cause you yeah, no, the video. Perfect. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So, so, and these are all concepts that I have, I've taken from like sports psychology, my own experience, other players, other just completely what seem to be irrelevant content. So a lot of like uh, uh, business founders and CEOs, and they talk about like how to build companies and stuff. And so that mentality of like how you have to look at something that is at, at ground zero where there's nothing there, how to believe in a long-term project and then understand and believe that you have the capabilities of doing that. Most players have reactive confidence, which is essentially you need confidence to have success, 
but you need to have success in order to build confidence, right? So that's a paradox. You can't have one without the other. And so they end up not having any confidence because they, they don't get the success because they don't have the confidence, whatever. The opposite of that is what I call like the, the death spiral, the snowball, right? It's they have no confidence out the gate, which means they fail. And the more they fail, the less confidence they have. And that snowball just keeps going and going and going until they become just completely in their own head and they can't physically hit. So how do you replace that, right? Essentially, what the durable confidence cycle looks like is your confidence starts off with your preparation, right? So it's not based upon the result. You start off with how well am I prepared, right? That preparation lays the foundation of your confidence. Then the results happen, right? They do happen. You have to like look at your results and you can't just ignore them. But how do we frame those results? So that's like the next step. So you frame the results kind of like we talked about where if you strike out, but you took a good pitch, O2. So framing the results and taking small wins from any result that happens. And then creating something which I call like a win stack, which is um, stacking like your preparation, small wins, and then big wins on top of it. And that's how you build confidence, right? It is your preparation that leads to the framing of results that leads to then successful outcomes, which is what we all want, which then circles back into preparation. And that is how you build consistent and sustainable confidence. Because if you go through a stretch where you're 0 for 20, well, you're still preparing every single day. So you still have that foundation, right? You're never going to drop below the, the foundation of your preparation. That is like the bedrock of your confidence. As long as you're preparing every single day, you're never going to fall below this, like th this confidence level of like, being completely inept at the plate. And then as you are in like, uh, if you're, if you're, even if you're in 300, right? Seven of those at bats are going to be outs no matter what. How do we find small wins in those at bats to then build like essentially what is the next layer of the win stack? And then when you go 450 dead center, hit a double in the gap, get your big wins. Then those take you from like, feeling pretty confident to really confident. And then you maintain that cycle all day long. And that essentially is what an 80 grade confidence hitter looks like, or essentially those three components. So when someone goes to, I guess, like buy a book or a tool like this, something to improve their game, a lot of the time that the impulse to buy or the impulse to try something new comes from struggle. It's like me watching with golf. I'm always watching videos and trying to just, we're trying to figure out what's going on on the course and none of it's working. With this, though, baseball being such a mental game and the the importance of this, you were a guy who you hit your way into being a first round pick. We talked about it. You didn't have that that many that much failure before you got to high A when you're you know, can you sell this to a Richie Schaefer who's a freshman at Clemson? He's going to Omaha and the right. entire you know, he he doesn't fail like what? What are things that what are the reasons that someone who's going good needs to needs to start now? What are the reasons that kid yeah. should have started now? Like we we know with, you know, what you would go through, but like if you're hitting everything, why do I why should I yeah. restructure how I'm mentally going about baseball? No, and and you're spot on and that really is at the end of the day the most difficult part about pursuing the angle that I'm pursuing here to your very point, right? Like the mental part of the game not only becomes the very last piece of the puzzle that people focus on, um, it, it it doesn't even seem like it's an issue when you are more physically talented than the most of your competition. Um, and so in the six-school athlete system, I talk about the, the types of confidence. And so reactive is in there, and but it's sort of like this umbrella of a couple different types. And one of the types of confidence I talk about is delusional confidence. And that's essentially what these types of individuals are, which I had throughout the vast majority of my career, which is essentially... Uh, confidence that's disguised as a lack of adversity, 
right? To your point, like I, I didn't face any adversity. It's, it's really easy to be confident when you've never actually struggled, right? So you, you create this false sense of security, this false sense of reality, and then all of a sudden you get punched in the mouth and you don't have the tools uh, to handle that. You don't, you're not equipped to handle that failure. And then you crash really hard and you kind of rebuild yourself. You got to come back up. So the pitch that I try to make in some of these is like, if you can create this type of durable confidence and this sort of this, this confidence structure early in your career, when you're already more physically talented than everyone else, the, the separator, as that funnel continues to get smaller, it, that that's the, the key piece that, that every guy uh, in college, every guy in the minor leagues and every guy, in the big leagues has to fight is like, how do I create that mental separation? Because every dude hits bombs, every guy throws hundred, every guy, you know, has great ball, like bat to ball skills. So what's my separator? The separator is right here. But to your point and kind of what I alluded to earlier, sometimes you just have to go experience it. And it is really, really difficult for me to go. Like if I was talking to Max Clark or someone who got you know picked first or second overall, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if he looked at that and go like, yeah, I don't need that. Like, I'm fine. You know what I mean? Like, and, and frankly, I wouldn't have much of an argument. Like, you're just going to have to go and experience and and go do your thing, right? And who knows? Maybe maybe those types of guys, they'll go and they'll be Mike Trout and they'll really never face much adversity and they won't ever have to think about it. Their mindset just sort of works. Um, and that's a reality, right? There are guys like that um, who they're just sort of born and built and wired that way. The Tiger Woods of the world who I just have that killer mindset who out the gate day one are just, they're just hardwired a little different. The vast majority of us need to treat our mind like we do our swing, right? We are in the cage every single day working on our swing, but we don't, we don't take like actual time to build our mental skill sets. One, because there's just not any tools out there. No one really knows how to do it. And two, the people that are doing it very rarely have sort of the combination of skill sets, experience, and background that I have to sort of portray in a way that feels genuine to hitters and makes sense, right? There's a lot of general sports psychology out there, and some of it's helpful, but unless you've actually been in the box, gone 0 for 30, seen 100 miles an hour, it's really hard to translate general sports psychology concepts into like, okay, how do we take this and actually apply it to an approach? What the heck is an approach, right? Like what's our situational awareness right here? If it's, you know, what's the difference between um, getting pitched with no one on base between runners on second and third and high leverage situation? Like what are the things we need to think about? How do we take our foundational mental skills and apply it to like an elite approach? And so these are the things that I think separate good hitters and the stuff that I'm trying to, to convince people that they need to focus on right now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. 
you made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. So the focus is is all on mental with what you're doing, but you did mention that a lot of the you know, a lot of hitting in general and a lot of what's on social media is mechanical stuff, trying new things. It's something you did when you were a career. How do you, how do you think like taking an approach like this and applying it to mechanical changes, you know, how would that have been different for you if you had had this approach and been able when you're restructuring your swing or trying new things, you had a video recently about uh, overcorrecting with changes response to, I think it was like driving balls the opposite way or something like that. How can you, you know, how can you combine the mental and the mechanical when you're going when you're going through an adjustment process and apply this in, in a way where you're also working on the physical mechanics, but you're keeping in mind the, this mental structure as well? Yeah, and I try to make it clear in my stuff that like the mechanics are important. I'm not disregarding the importance of mechanics. They are super important. If you have bad mechanics, it's going to be more difficult, right? So I'm not sitting here saying that there's something you should completely disregard. I'm just saying like this stuff needs to be as big of a focus. It needs to be, um, an add on, not like, uh, you know, you're not subtracting some mechanical work to add in mental work. You need to just do more. Um, and so with that said, I think, creating confidence in your mechanics is a part of that foundational preparation, right? So all the stuff you're doing prior to games, if you can build confidence in the movements that you're doing leading into the game, that is a piece of it, right? Um, So I think if you're trying to combine the two, I think what it really boils down to is finding simple and repeatable cues, right? So I talk about this like three-step system all the time when you are stepping into the batter's box, right? One thing I dislike uh, uh, that a lot of coaches say with good intentions, but I think it sends the wrong message is like, don't think up there or or you know, whatever. Like, I, I don't think that's physically possible. I don't think it's possible to not think. We're going to think about something. So we need to direct our thoughts in uh, in the right direction. So the first piece of almost every hitter is going to want to do is think about their mechanics. So let's just acknowledge that and let's do it. Right. So the three-step system kind of looks like this. You have like your mechanical thought as you're stepping into the box. And so that's the stuff that we've prepared and built our confidence like foundation on in the cages. So whatever the drills are you're doing in the cage, whatever you've built confidence in, let's find like a simple repeatable cue about that. Pair that with like a physical movement. So in the video, I talk about Albert Pulhos and he's got this like little downhill reminder. Aaron Judge has his little like snap waggle. Uh, Dustin Pedroia had the thing like across his face that you see. Like a lot of these guys have these uh, physical reminders for like mechanical cues. But then as they step into the box, they have to bridge and transition out of mechanical cues into external approach cues. And so you you pair sort of a like a, a mechanical uh, physical cue with like a breath with um, maybe it's like a focal point, maybe it's a, maybe it's a phrase or something, anything that's going to trigger to remind you it's okay. Like we've acknowledged our, our, our mechanical cue, take a deep breath. That's our signal to now we focus all of our energy out on the pitcher onto our approach. So kind of combining those where you're not ignoring the mechanics, you're allowing that confidence that you've built in the cage to sort of prepare you for the at bat you acknowledge it in the moment so you're not like sitting there not trying to think about it right it's like don't think about the purple elephant you're gonna think about purple elephant so you're not like trying to ignore it and then you focus all your energy on the approach and that type of that type of system i think helps keep you in the right mindset every single day in the box you're not 
like trying to figure out what to think about. You just have the system every single time you get in the box and that keeps you very level and that keeps you grounded, whether you're 10 for 10 or 0 for 10. How applicable would you say this book and these strategies are for hitters of, of all ages? Because we, you know, we talked a lot about college and pro ball and when there's, I, I think a little more data to digest, pitchers are doing a little bit different. There's just more thinking in general. But when you think about Richie at 15 or Richie at 12 or random, you know, random 12 year old, like I have a nine year old, how applicable right. are these strategies from an early age? Yeah. I mean, I think they're, what I tell people is like the, like the six tool athlete system I have does get a little advanced. And that's why I kind of wanted to make the slugger journal to make a more universally um, approachable uh, version of that. Um, but I think this stuff starts pretty early, especially because in the slugger journal, the first 50 pages of them are just like general foundational mental skills that just have a baseball slant to them. So for instance, um, I tell the story of a very well-known parable called two wolves where there's a, you know, a grandfather and a son, and he's telling the story about how there's two wolves inside everyone. And one's, um, evil and one's good and the evil one feasts on negativity and the good one feasts on positivity. And the child asks like, okay, which one's going to win? And then the grandfather responds, whichever one you feed. Right. And so the, the, the point and the lesson of that is you are the thoughts you are like, you, you, you create your own wolf. You create your own monster. If you feed yourself, you feed your wolf with positivity, you're going to be a positive player out there. So something like that from 10 years old, I think is super important, right? Because we're not talking about like in the first 50 pages of these in terms of building, like your just mental skills foundation. It's not talking about in-depth approach, uh, data analytics things. They're just, they're very general concepts of like, how do we deal with jealousy of a guy hitting cleanup and you're hitting eight all, how do you deal with, um, bad luck? If you hit three line drives in a row to the shortstop, right? How do we, how do we ensure that out of 10 at bats, even if we're hitting 300, how do we ensure in those seven at bats that we get out, we don't create phantom issues that aren't there. That's just the nature of baseball. How do we like accept failure as a part of the game in a way that actually helps us produce in the other parts of the at bat? So all these things from a young age, I think are super digestible or really easy to, to understand, but they have they're, they're universal in the sense that like, there's plenty of big league guys that need to, to, to read this and do this too, because um, it's all relative in terms of your issues, right? I talk a bit about like the battle of expectations is a big one in here. And essentially, how do you cope with um, having expectations of being the one that's supposed to succeed? Um, and how do you deal with the expectations of being the underdog, right? And that that concept is universal, whether you're in the Little League World Series or the Big League World Series. It doesn't really matter. Um, you could be a rookie in the world series facing Justin Verlander and you're David in that scenario, not Goliath, or you could be the other way around. You could be, um, you know, the star player on the little league team facing the scrappy, you know, town team and all eyes are on you to deliver and you're Goliath in that situation. So all your issues just scale in a relative as you go up. And I think building some of these mental foundational skills early and then transitioning them to some of the, 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 the pregame evaluation, the postgame templates, um, that, that to me, I think is a universal topic. When you talk about expectations, how should hitters of any age approach projecting their realistic ceiling like you and i have different physical ceilings there are places you got to and could have gotten to in baseball that i could have never sniffed how do you go about having confidence in yourself but having realism in your expectations too like where's the balance there so yeah i have a video on this that i talk about and i don't 
necessarily love the term realistic, right? Because I think there's, I mean, you see it every single day in the big leagues, guys that were, I mean, prior to the draft changing when there was 50 plus rounds, right? I mean, you got 50th rounders. I mean, Kevin Kiermaier is a good teammate of mine. He got drafted in the 49th round or something like that. Went to a small school and he's one of the best center fielders in the game, maybe, you know, in, in history, in terms of his defensive capabilities, I'm sure there's a lot of people from a young age that told him to be more realistic about some of his skill sets, but like the dude is can flat out play and, and the him aging in a way that like, you know, he just, you know, he got better as he got older. I think if you, if we convince ourselves from an early age that we can't do certain things, then we certainly won't on the, uh, but the caveat that is, so you've got sort of two sides of the coin here where you've got people saying, be more realistic that's never going to happen. But then on the flip side of that, you have, you can do anything you set your mind to. So how do you find the, the combination of that, right? Because both sides aren't very helpful. I think the key is you have to be very realistic about the work you're putting in and the progress you're making on sort of that trajectory, right? So if you have big league expectations and you're in high school and you're only hitting three days a week, that is not the like growth trajectory of a big league player, right? So I think you can be realistic there and say, probably not going to get to the big leagues if I work and act this way. That's not to say if I start doing this, I'm going to get to the big leagues, but that is the necessary track to getting there. So I think that's how you start to reframe it a little bit. It's not necessarily about what my skill ceiling is because you just, you never know what your true skill ceiling is, right? Like, especially if you're a younger player, maturity and puberty and all that stuff happens at crazy different times in people's lives. Um, my, my younger brother is a perfect example. He was a really late bloomer. He's a football player and he played safety for a bunch of years and just was like a really, really late bloomer in high school, did not mature very, very young. And so he, he tried to walk on to App State um, and played there for a couple of years. And then by his, and he transferred, went to Lenore Ryan, but by his, I guess, redshirt junior year, which would have been like his fourth year, the dude just absolutely hit a growth spurt and basically filled out immediately. He went from like, you know, 180 soaking wet to like this 210 pound diesel free safety. He was just decapitating people. Right. And so, you know, if, 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 if I'm trying to, as his older brother, trying to tell him to be more realistic, you're small, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to, you know, excel at this level. Well, you know, fast forward five years. Now, all of a sudden he is that person like that, that would have been you know, an incorrect statement on my part. He just wasn't ready at the time. So I think you got to look at the trajectory of your work, the skills that you do have, right? Like let's, let's, let's be real about your current state, but then sort of the work that you're putting in and the goals that you have for that. Um, I think at, you know, baseball has this way of, um, you know, kind of cutting you off when it's your time to be cut off, right? Like very few of us get to actually walk away when we want to walk away. So, I mean, if your goal is to, uh, if you're in high school and want to go play college baseball, if that's your goal and you're not doing the things that college baseball players do, then you can't have the expectation of playing college baseball. But if you do want to play there, then you go ahead, you put that work in, you kind of get on that track, you get on that trajectory and then start to like measure your skills and your progression, right? If you're doing all that work and you're not seeing a ton of improvement, then it's like, all right, let's look at, okay, are we doing, are we working on the wrong things? If we're confident we're not working on the wrong things, then, you know, maybe we can start to look at this and go, all right, maybe this isn't for me. I'm doing everything I should be doing and I'm not seeing any type of result. Maybe we can look at it and say, maybe this isn't for me. But until you start to really physically fill out and get to the point where like 
you are the peak version of yourself. I think being realistic is a dangerous thing, but um, no different than having delusional goals without the plan in place. Yeah. I also think just having the goal of I'm going to hit my peak is actually really important because if you can look back and say, wow, I, I gave it everything I got and I got to this level and I'm pretty pleased with that. Like that's, that's a peaceful feeling that I is another thing that not a lot of athletes I think feel when they're done there. There's a lot of, I left something on the table, which is a hundred percent. Right. Which is, which is tough. Absolutely. So as we, as we wind down, walk me through the difference between a hitter and a swinger. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is a, a concept that I talk about, uh, a lot lately because of the obsession with swing mechanics. And I think a swinger is really a guy who has sort of perfected, uh, his craft in the controlled environment, right? Like he's the guy where when he swings and misses, everyone's like, Ooh, Whoa, that was pretty. Like that looked nice. Oh, good. And BP he's hammering balls, you know, way over the fence, but the moment the lights turn on at seven o'clock, that doesn't always replicate into like game time results. And I think the difference truly between a swinger and a hitter is the amount of effort and the amount of weight that you place on your approach on the mental side of, of hitting and essentially your confidence in general, right? Because you know, there's some guys, you know, there's some guys out there, even there's guys, even in the big leagues who, you know, they're really talented swingers and they're so talented that they've gotten to the big leagues and still have had productive careers. But realistically, if they could have, if they could have just put a little bit more emphasis on uh, trying to build out certain approaches, trying to like really hone in on, okay, how are we trying to pick up pitches? Where are we looking for pitches? Are we anticipating the movement of these guys? Are we like looking at scouting reports, getting a sense of what they're going to pitch when, or are we just waking up, taking a bunch of hacks in the cage and going out there and just taking donkey hacks and trying to hit a 500 feet and hoping the ball runs into our bat. Right. You know, I, I think you can kind of see the difference, um, in some guys at the big league level, the guys that have very honed, very crafted approaches that don't chase very often and guys that, you know, will swing at balls in the other batter's box. Um, you know, I think that, that to me boils down to an emphasis on your approach. So with, with baseball, with anything, you can't guarantee results. You can't, you can't say you're going to read this book and you're going to be, you're going to hit 300, you're going to hit right. 30 bombs, anything like that. What after both reading the book and then applying it, you have a hundred pages of of journals and, and note taking and basically homework that, that you can do that you can take and apply. What is what is a player going to get at I would say at completion after a hundred, say a hundred feedback sessions with with this book? Yeah, I think my main goal, if you go start to finish with this book, I think if if, if I could get you as a player to switch how you view every single baseball game that you play in from an evaluation of your results to an evaluation of your mental day. I think just that alone is going to make you a better player. Um, it's not only going to make you a better player, it's going to make you a happier, healthier player. It's going to allow you to enjoy the game more um, because at the end of a hundred pages of templates at the end of this thing, if you're still going home and being like, man, I went over three today, I stink, whatever, then, then, then I have failed to prepare you. Right. Because you should be going home and be like, okay, yeah, I, I, I didn't get, I didn't get any hits in three at bats, but I worked a great count and 
had like 11 pitch AB, which, you know, then essentially wore down the pitchers. We got to the bullpen earlier. I took a great swing on a one Oh fastball. That was perfectly in my go zone. It was in the exact approach I was looking for. Um, and I just missed it or to that point of just missing it. Yeah. I flew out to, I flew out to the, uh, shortstop. I hit like a sky ball and instead of hitting it and being like, Oh, how'd I miss that? I fouled it off. And I was like, Oof, I just missed that. Like that reframing. If I can get, if I can get players to just change their daily mental habits to those types of things, whatever their physical production ceiling is, I believe gives them a better opportunity of reaching that. Cause that, that, that truly uh, what it boils down to is your ceiling as a player is your mental ceiling. It's not your physical ceiling. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they don't appreciate it. And they don't even believe it really. I think, I think there's a lot of um, uh, skepticism about that. But at the end of the day, if you are, if you're, if you're a head case and you can't like, you can't cope with the fact that you're not going to go out there every single day and go for four, four, four line drives, no matter how good you are at some point, you're going to hit your, your, your physical, or you're going to hit your, um, your, your physical ceiling and the mental game can't, you know, can't get you any further than that. So, um, that to me is my, my number one goal. I, yeah, I can't sit here and say, you're going to read this and automatically become a big leaguer. Obviously not right. The vast overwhelming majority of players aren't, um, they're not even going to be able to like progress much beyond, you know, where they normally would have. But it's one of these things where preparation doesn't guarantee results, but results do require preparation, right? So it's one of these things where if you do have those goals and aspirations, it does require you to prepare in a way that others aren't willing to. And I think this is the separator for a lot of guys is like, even at a young age, it's like, okay, if I'm uh, say I say I don't have all the physical tools in place, but I know exactly, I know what pitch is coming when, because I've studied relentlessly in the dugout. I've watched, I've watched eight at bats in a row here. I've seen when he gets, when the guy gets on second base with less than two outs, the coach calls first pitch curveball every single time. And so, yeah, I may not be the best here. I may be the seven hole guy in the lineup, but now I get up to bat with the guy on second base. I've been paying attention. I know he's about to spin his first pitch breaking ball and I sit on it and I smack a double in the gap. Whereas before I'm just up there, I'm just reacting. I'm hoping that I pick the pitch up and maybe I see it, but I freeze. And then that's my best pitch of the at bat. So small things like that, switching those mentalities and just creating uh, the space to just become your best version of yourself. That is my only goal. There are often things that now I'll look back and say, I wish they had that when I was playing like rap Soto being a big one. The, you know, the, um, concept that you can train for velocity, uh, spider tack. I wish had been around when I was playing because I, <laughs> yeah. I would use that quite a bit. Right. Uh, th this is one of those things. I think it's a great concept. I think it'd be great for anyone who is the parent of a youth player or a, a player right now. I know we have players to listen to the show. So Richie, I appreciate you stopping by the show, walking me through this, uh, tell the folks again, where they can follow you and, and where they can get the slugger journal yeah no i appreciate having me on this has been awesome yeah so the slugger journal is on amazon um you just go in the search bar type in the slugger journal my six tool athlete mental skill system is sort of the parent version not the parent version the the more advanced version and gives more in-depth breakdown on like kind of how to operate um sort of in depth with it. And that is at six toolathlete.com, the number six tool athlete.com. Um, and then you can just follow me on any of my social media pages, just Richie Schaefer. Uh, I think it's Richie Schaefer underscore on Instagram and Richie.Schaefer on 
on TikTok and Richard Schaefer on, on YouTube. So I post uh, a bunch of free concepts on social media. I try to have a bunch of entry points for any budget in there. Like I give a lot of, a lot of free value, a lot of stuff on the social media. Um, the slugger journals, 29.99 as like a nice entry point for Amazon. And then the, um, uh, six athlete system is, is 90 bucks right now. So, um, yeah, it's been really cool. I have gotten so much feedback from it. So many players have been reaching out, DMing me, uh, talking about how it's been, you know, they've really enjoyed it. I've gotten a ton more, professional interest than I ever anticipated. I thought this was going to be more kind of catered towards uh, high school athletes was kind of going to be the, the, the key, but I've had a ton of minor league guys uh, on the, on the, on the system, get the slugger journal. Um, I have a few agents reach out and be like, Hey, can I like, you know, I kind of want to get this for, for our, all of our guys. I'm like, I did not expect that. Um, so it does seem like more and more people are paying attention to how important this mental side is. And I just think there hasn't been tools like this really in the past, like the, 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 the one thing that kind of inspired me was like the Steve Springer quality of bat CDs back in the day, which was like sort of the best comparison to this, but nothing where like, you've got a pen, you've got paper, you can come in every single day and like actually write down and evaluate like what's going on, fill out the, the, the guides, do all this stuff. So I'm really excited about it. It's been really cool. It's been an honor. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you you were the perfect test case because I think uh, you having this in high Charlotte probably would have changed things, and I think that's it seems to be a lot of what uh, what has inspired this. So I, th- I think it's awesome. Um, I will link everything in the show notes, so folks, if you have interest, go check it out. I'll link Richie's socials. Um, a lot of recent video uh, breaking down uh, Kyle Tucker's uh, recent bomb against Felix Bautista, which was, which was great. Uh, Richie, thank you so much for returning from Phenom to the Farm. No, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You got it. 